Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, we're back on this Sunday morning, hour two. We're coming to you live from the uh, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios or somewhere in the other. These are challenging times, and Rocket Mortgage is prepared to help. If you need mortgage assistance, a lot of you do, contact their team 24-7 at rocketmortgage.com. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. On this Sunday morning, the draft now in the books. NFL did a uh, – and their surrounding technical people, all their their people did a very good job with this draft – uh, not easy to do, and did a very good job. They should be commended by it. It went off very smoothly. Uh, we welcome in Scott Pioli, as always, uh, the uh, uh, decorated uh, executive uh, who won multiple championships with the Pats. He joins us now. What, what's up, Scott? How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks. How are you doing? Good, thank you. You know, um, I was talking about at the top of the draft. Uh, part of it is you got these guys who – and. I understand that's their business. They're in the draft business. That's uh, 365 days a year. And their premise is we're going to grade a draft. And their draft grade is based on this guy took the 166th ranked player on my board in the 38th slot, so how dare he. And, you know, you guys might have 4,000 different reasons for why you took a player in that that has nothing to do with the numerics of it. Um when you hear that stuff, I know it just goes in one ear out the other, but I, I've always been taught three years to judge a draft. What's your, as someone who did this for a living, what's your premise on judging a draft? Yeah, I think you need to take at least two to three years to judge it, Mike. And, you know, it's funny you say that because the, the number of people that I've talked to that actually grade the drafts, right, because I've been fortunate enough to be on the football side and be on the media side, um, and when I talk to the people that grade the drafts, every single one of them rolls their eyes, and they hate doing it. They absolutely hate grading the draft. They hate grading teams, especially the immediate grading of the draft. But they have to do it because that's what their bosses are asking for. The bosses are asking for it because allegedly that's what the fans decide. So 
the whole everyone understands the absurdity of grading drafts, especially this quickly. Um, but it's become one of these things that I really believe is, well, why do we do it? Well, that's because that's the way it's always been done, which is one of the dumbest reasons to do anything, quite honestly. But, Mike, it, it takes time because, you know, you hit the nail on the head coming out. The person that's doing the grading of the draft, and I'm doing little air quotes when I say grading, um, they're going to grade it based on their beliefs and or perception of, of the player, of, pick, of, of right. what they had him right, and, and it doesn't matter what team he went to or what his role is exactly. going to be. Yeah, you know, Mike, you and I have had this conversation about the tackles, right? Yep. There are four really good tackles that were ranked, um, you know, the, the top four tackles in the draft, and then there was a fifth and sixth that some people like too. And the tackle that you take really needs to be dependent upon your system. So, again, I, I, I go back to uh, 27 years in the NFL. I was a part of one system offensively for so many years, and then it got then got exposed to other systems. It being Kyle Shanahan's offensive system, based on what he's looking for out of offensive linemen, is completely different than what you know. Whether it was with Parcells when it was Ron Earhart, when it was Dan Henning, when it was Charlie Weiss, when it was Josh McDaniels. These things have a tendency to look different, and what each team is supposed to be doing is creating a grading scale and a scouting manual that has clear descriptive um, the skills, the tools, and the makeup of the individuals that you're scouting. So you're scouting teams for your system, and not every player, not every player fits every system, and not every system fits players. That's why, you know, one of the things that, that, that we got – that, that Bill and I made a point of when we went to New England was we understood clearly that if a player didn't make it in another team's system, that didn't mean that they couldn't be gold for us. We also knew that there were some very good players that we were letting go or that we would move on from that didn't fit either the culture that we were trying to create or the system. And that was no disrespect to those players it just meant it wasn't a fit. And there's certain players that flourish in certain systems and there's players that don't. And you just hope the players find the right system. Let's look at the end of the Giants draft. Now, you got a guy who comes from your, your, your same camp, obviously now coaching the Giants, who came with the Bill Belichick seal of approval. And he goes and takes a bunch of linebackers at the back of the draft, all on the seventh round. Uh, how much is he looking for special teams players in those players to find that special teams gem in those players? Well, Mike, that's a big part of it. You know, I was talking on uh, CBS HQ yesterday about the importance of the middle and late rounds. What you're doing in those areas is you're trying to find in the skilled positions and the semi-skilled positions. And, and when we, you know, in teams, the skilled positions are obviously defensive back, wide receiver, running back. The semi-skilled positions are those middle positions where players are skilled, but they're also a little bulky. The fullbacks, the tight ends, the outside linebackers, or the linebackers dependent upon their, their size. Those players at those positions, you are bringing in with two purposes, to come in, make your team, or make it to your practice squad, and while they're developing to become positional players, you hope that they will. Some don't. But during that time, they're becoming key and core special teams players. It's like when we drafted, I go back to drafting Matthew Slater. right? We drafted Matthew Slater uh, in, in the fifth round. Here's a guy who had 25 tackles 
on special teams his senior year in UCLA. He was a two-time Pac-12 special teams player of the year. We also knew that he was very limited as a receiver. We were taking him, hoping that he would develop into a receiver because he had kick return ability. He did have straight-line speed. We thought maybe we could develop him into a, you know, into a wide receiver. But here's a guy who's now got 13 years, I think, in the NFL. And yeah, he's one of the great. He's one of the five or six great special teams players of all time. He he ranks with Renee Thompson and Steve Tasker and Renee the great with the greatest players ever at that at, at playing playing special teams. And that's, you hope he's going to be good. You don't ever think he's going to be that good, right? If any one of us, you know, says now that we knew that that's what Matthew Slater was going to be, it's, a, it's like Brady, you know, you, you're not telling the truth. But I go back to some of the other players, you know, so at the, at the semi-skilled and skilled positions, you're looking for players to co- contribute as core special teams players or make it to your practice, practice squad and eventually become developmental players. When it comes to linemen, those are players, the offense and defense, because it's such a dramatic shift, you see the greatest jump. If you look back, the greatest jump in performance that you see with offensive linemen and defensive linemen is between years one and two. So when you take young linemen, you hope that they're eventually going to, you know, in the middle and late rounds, you hope that they're going to develop into worst-case scenario. You're hoping that they're going to develop into good backups with versatility, with swing ability. Now, I go back to a guy like Ryan O'Callaghan that we drafted in 06 who ended up playing in, you know, almost 70 games. He had some time as a starter at right tackle in both New England and in Kansas City. But really what he was was a backup tackle. That's a guy who has a good career as a, as a fifth-round pick. You know, you're happy with that. And then you get this flip side. In 15, I was with the Falcons, and we drafted Grady Jarrett, who his rookie year, um, you know, was meh. It, it was okay. But he was so good, he developed and he understood what he had to do and he had the tools. Now he's one of the, you know, one of the better starting inside defensive linemen in the league. Then you get a guy like Dan Copen in 03 who, who gets forced into duty um, to be the center. But because, you know, Mike, because I think the players that you see develop in the fifth, sixth round and seventh round, they have certain traits and you have to pay attention to traits. Yes. They're not going to have the premier tools, or they probably would have been drafted earlier. But with linemen, what we always used to look at were guys who were going to be tough and smart and dependable. And I know that sounds very simple, but the guys who generally, you know, rise to the top from those areas as linemen, those, that's where they come from. You know, and again, now if a guy becomes, if you pick a guy in the sixth or seventh round that's a lineman and he has a six, seven, year career as a backup, a reliable backup that can that has come in and filled in, I mean, that's a pretty good career and that's a pretty good pick. And you also had the advantage of they were going to be coached by one of the greatest position coaches oh. in the history of the sport who has probably been the one guy there who has never gotten a national acclaim that people I, I know, and and no one's ever been against giving it to him. Not Parcells, not Belichick, not anybody. But Dante Scarnecchia is one of the great coaches uh, of all time. I mean, could have been anything that he wanted to be. And you know how great he. I mean, you work with him. You know how good a coach he is. Uh, because he's such a detailed guy, and he knows how to communicate. He's thoughtful. His guys. It's funny, you know, you talk to the guys that play for him, and while they're playing for him, they want to choke him out certain days. Yet, they can talk about it. It's one of those coaches that they can talk about him and say anything that they want, 
but you know, God help the guy or the girl or the you know that is going to say something negative about their coach. They they only they can speak nasty about their coach. But yeah, he Dante is a tremendous coach, and you know one of the best jobs I saw Dante do with a football player in terms of developmental. I I don't know if you remember um, during the the, the mid. 2000s in the Super Bowl teams, we had an offensive line by the name of Steve Neal. Sure. Um, you know, and he played, and Steve Neal did not take a snap of college football. He was a, a California kid, played high school football, but was a wrestler, became an NCAA champion wrestler, a world champion wrestler. When he got done with his wrestling career, you know, wrestlers don't, you know, they, they, their sport doesn't allow them to monetize anything. We decided to try him out. The agent, you know, we knew pretty well, and he, he talked me into trying him out. We tried him out. We brought him in as a practice squad. Dante worked with that guy morning, noon, and night. But he was a player who, again, you, you've heard me talk about how much I love, you know, players with wrestling background. He had leverage. He had rare toughness. Most wrestlers have this rare focus and toughness, and a year later, here we've got this guy, Steve Neal, who wrestled at Cal Bakersfield and became a starting offensive lineman for a world championship football team. It was because of the work that Dante put into him. His career would have been longer, but he started late. And really, some of the wrestling injuries, his shoulders were a mess from all the years of wrestling. But he was a tremendous player, and Dante made him into a terrific player. So with Scott Pioli on this Sunday morning, I would never take an offensive lineman that off Dante Skarniecki's team and take him on my team in a million years, just like I would never take a pitcher off Dave Duncan's staff and put him on my team. <laughs> There's not a chance. You've exhausted everything you can possibly get out of that human being by being as brilliantly coached as you can possibly be, don't no one can coach you better. So it's never going up from there, and it's usually going the other way. So that's why I would never do that. That's how good he is. Uh, let's talk for a second about the Dolphins because they now turn the corner. They have their quarterback. They they everyone's waiting for them to make their move upwards now. And this is a coach who people may or may not know. This guy. I mean, you had, to say you had a lot, you had an enormous impact on this co- coach's career. This is a guy who was in, was in under your guidance for years and years before he became one to become a coach. He was a personnel guy. He was a guy who comes through the whole plan. Flores is a guy who co- came through your wing of the, of, the, of the franchise for many years. Yeah, you know, B-Flow, I, I, Brian Flores, I refer to him as B-Flow. He, um, he's going to do a terrific job down there. I think people need to temper their their excitement because this is he's going to build a program that gets there eventually they're going to make another step forward this year uh and eventually they'll be good but but beef flow is an amazing story for your new york city listeners mike he's a guy from the brownsville section of, of brooklyn he is straight up brooklyn uh, from an amazing family um unfortunately his mother passed last year but one of the most incredible strong smart tough um people i've ever met and she raised um she and 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 brian's dad raised uh four good young men and beeflow ended up uh being smart enough and athletic enough to go to poly prep and after poly prep he went to boston college scholarship there and he was one of those guys who was kind of between it he was a little not fast enough to be a great safety not big enough to be a linebacker, an inside linebacker full-time, so he got a lot of playing time. He was a good special teams player and a good linebacker. And I'll never forget, you know, one of the people that I relied on, there's certain people that you meet in the industry that you rely on for opinions, 
and Tom O'Brien, who was the uh, the head coach up sure. there at, at Boston College, very good friend of mine, very good, good man. friend of Bills. Yep. Yeah, and you know he worked with Bill's dad at the Naval Academy, yep. and and but I got to know Ob really well, and he was one of my go to guys. So you know I was raised, uh, uh, you know, in I was one of the original Slappies in Cleveland, um, and in, in what you there was this makeup or design of people that you could look for in those roles that were hardworking and, and, and truly loved the game of football. Well, OB told me about this guy. I told him I was looking for a certain kind of guy. And he says, well, I've got this guy, and uh, his name's Brian Flores. And B-Flow graduated in May of '04 from Boston College. I hired him two weeks later. He came in, interview, blew me away. Just in terms of the person that he was, he was – um, smart, tough, disciplined. I could tell he was hardworking. He had been through it, and um, he had a great intensity about him, yet he also had a peacefulness about him. And I, I know that sounds a little crazy, Mike, but he knew when to let his frustration out, and he also knew when to be thoughtful. And he came in, and without a doubt, you know, he, I was very fortunate to have him working him with him alongside of me for um, for five years in, in personnel. And then when I left to go to Kansas City, um, you know the family rule. It's just like when, you know, it's part of that whole, the whole family, whether you're with Parcells or Belichick or, or I mean, you know, you only, um, you have to ask permission to take people with you. And, and B-Flow wanted to go into coaching at, at that point after five years in personnel. And uh, there was no way that I was going to tell whatever head coach I was going to hire that, oh, by the way, you have you, know, you have to hire this coach. I believe coaches should hire all their assistants. So B-Flow ended up staying behind, Bill put him in coaching, and the, and the rest is history. But he's uh, he is one of the people I that I've met in my football journey that I love and respect. Um, he, he is truly like family. Are you surprised he's a coach and not a general manager? No, I'm not, because he's an he's, – um, that's he needs an outlet, right? He has a personality where he needs an outlet, and he's a teacher. And there's a lot of general managers. You know, I, I consider myself being general manager, assistant right. general manager, whatever I was, but also a teacher. He was more passionate about wanting to coach because of what he felt he would get and be able to give to coaching. And it's truly, um, it, 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 it's truly the spot for him. But here's what I'll say, you know. You know, people think that all coaches, because they know the game, um, and that they can also do the personnel work. And a lot of personnel people think that they know what coaches should be doing. And I, I don't always subscribe to that, but I will say that there are certain coaches that are better personnel people than most. Um, Brian Flores, because of his background, and again, the fact that he was a scrappy player because he always had to spend time watching film to be the best player that he was, his time and his five years in personnel, he not only understands how to evaluate players, but he understands the process that you have to go to. He respects the process of scouting, which is not just, oh, that's a good player. He, you know, look at one tape, you, you've got to figure it out. He's humble enough to know that there's an entire process of vetting which I really think is going to make him successful because he'll be able to do both, but also be smart enough to know that he'll let the personnel people do the work that he necessarily might have some limitations in. Will he be a delegator as a coach or will he be a guy who has his hand in everything? He, he will have his hand around everything and he will delegate. And, and you know, that's one of the things that, 
and when you come from the, the system, you know, again, having worked for the two bills, people underestimate how well they delegate because of their personality. Well, one was a little better than the other at delegating. They were different. Yeah. They were different. Big, big, big Bill Big Bill wasn't the greatest delegator in the world. He's more old-fashioned. He was like Landry. He had his hand in every part of the team. He had his hand in every part of the team, but, but having worked for him, here's what I'll say, Mike. Even though he was the voice and the front of the final decision-making, and I'll say this about both Bills, having worked for them, both of them listened very, very well. Now, they had their opinions, and they listened. Sometimes their, their strength of opinions came on and their decision making even though it sounded like it maybe came all from them they listened to people and used that as part of their decision making and i don't know if i'm articulating that clearly or making no you you definitely are and i think belichick's very flexible i think he has been very flexible in his approach and he's been he's been willing to change too which is a is a good sign it really is he's been very he's not afraid to change stuff either oh bill has done a ton of changing and he's done a and again, uh, an incredible listener and an incredible question asker. And that's how I know that Parcells is a good listener, too. Because, and, and Mike, you know this. He may not agree with you, so he's going to challenge you with questions. He may leave a room saying, this is what I think. But then sometimes you'll see the decision he makes. And you'll, if you sit back and say, okay, he was listening. He did listen. So even though he's, he's managing all those things, um, he, he, he does do a very good job of listening. Now, again, he didn't always, if, if he took someone's advice, he wouldn't always tell those people, hey, that was a great idea, I like that, but that's a style thing. And I, and, and I just believe don't get too hung up on people's style. What are the results and, and, and how are the decisions, you know, what decisions are being made? He's the best motivator ever. I mean, Mullenbody might have been as good, but I've never seen anybody. I've said this. He will motivate a waiter to be a better waiter. I mean, he is like, <laughs> he, he could motivate anybody. He could go to the gym with him, and he will get 10 reps out of somebody, even a normal person, more than they ever gave in their life just listening to him for two minutes. I mean, he can get more out of Everybody and his belief was that, and because he expressed this to me a thousand times, that the human being never comes close to what his max is, never comes close to challenging what his max is. So he doesn't have to ever worry about that because he never comes close. That he can always, I always said that you worry about pushing somebody, he said, never can push somebody too far. Never. It cannot happen. It ne- it, they don't even come close. So, and, and he was a great motivator. And there's nothing wrong with being demanding, right? And the best coaches I've been around, and with different personalities, right? Kirk Ferentz has an ability to motivate people and get people to do things. It's different stylistically. He can find, he can get people to do things that they can't get themselves to do. Nick Saban can do that. Again, I've been so fortunate to be around. Coach Dick McPherson was amazing like that. You know, again, where he he could demand things and get things out of people. You know, we go, I'm looking at some of these coaches in the league right now. Sean Payton is one of those coaches. You know, Frank Wright, you talk about different stylistically. Andy Reid, different stylistically. I've watched people, you know, the things that, the way that Andy Reid can get the best out of some people for the time that they're with him is absolutely amazing. And he does it completely different than, than, than Bill, either one of the Bills did or, or do. Mike Vrabel is an amazing coach. Go down Bruce Arians. 
I mean, and, and that thing is that's why you can't get too caught up in style, right? Style points are, are, are just that. They're style points. It's what are you trying to get accomplished? Now, as long as you're not, you know, you're not dirty and, 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 and mean-spiritedly manipulative, that's what the coach's job is. Now you think that without harming human beings. We're talking with Scott Pioli, of course, about the Jeff. You are someone who obviously, uh, on the personnel end, dealt with schools, dealt with coaches. When you see a program get better and better through the years and start to get better players, like LSU has gone to a different level here. They had 14 players drafted in seven rounds. You wonder why they're winning. Why are they winning? How, I mean, they have filled the entire roster with they mean they bowed Alabama to Alabama is what they've done. I mean they've won, they've gone and gotten better players. What they've done down there too is their head coaches. I mean he is Coach O is an amazing recruiter and an amazing motivator. You talk about a guy who knows how to push buttons. Of but but here's part of it, Mike. If you're going to push buttons on players, you better bring players that match the culture and the personality of the coach. Mike, I've talked about this time and time again. This is where the marriage of player, uh, of player personnel, general manager, whatever the heck you want to call that person, and the head coach is so important. And, and what Coach O has done down there, and if I knew him from his time in Syracuse. I've known him forever. And what he did, he's kept the best players in the state. Because let me tell you something, Louisiana is loaded. Always been loaded. Always been loaded. Loaded with players. And what he does is he's getting the best players out of that state rather than letting them go to all these other players. How many NFL players do we see come out and you find out they're from either New Orleans or Baton Rouge, but they played at Colorado? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, they used to be a 7-4 program. They still had as many players around there. They just weren't keeping them home. I mean, when they had, like, Charlie McClendon coaching the team, they'd go 7-4, and 8-3. and three. They had talent. They just weren't keeping the other guys home. When was the last time they did it? When yeah, I mean, but, yeah, absolutely. And give, and give, that's not easy to do. I mean, like, these guys have done a great job. When you got 14 players drafted in seven rounds, that's unbelievable. And the other thing that, that, that Ed does, or Coach O, uh, does is and because I was I've been down there I was there when he was an assistant I would go down every year that was one of those schools I would always hit because there was always talent. The other thing that he's done a great job is to harness some of the personalities, right? Because LSU has had this reputation of in the past. Okay, a lot of great players, but you know what happened? You know, can they always control themselves? Right, shaky kids, shaky kids, right. yeah. Hey, uh, you know, I go back to those Patriots teams again. People forget Jarvis Green, right? Fourth yep. round pick. He was a terrific player. I mean, I don't, you know, we, we won a lot of games because of his ability and sub. Kevin Falk, you know, Eric Alexander, who was, again, another one of those mid late round special teams guys. You know, there's, um, they, have had, they have produced player after player after player. But Ed Ogeron is doing a great job of keeping those play- the, the best players in state getting select players from out of state, making sure that program is attractive. And then, again, he's harnessing um, those with issues, problems. He's helping develop some of those people and trying to make most of them better people as well. All right, one more before I let you go today. We're talking with Scott Pioli. Uh, Judge, do you see Judge's fingerprints on this giant draft? You know, I don't know yet. Um, I, I don't know yet because I don't understand or know the truth is some of their later round players. But my guess is um, 
you know, and we talked about this a little bit, Mike, the other day, their first round pick. To me, again, it's what flavor of ice cream do you like out of the four top tackles? And to me, I'm thinking and hoping and guessing that Dave Gettleman made that decision because of the relationship that's now started with Joe Judge and with Jason Garrett because of yep. the offense that they're running. So to me, um, I think the fingerprint's going to be on there because I can't imagine that they wouldn't be working collaboratively. I mean, Dave, Dave brought in Joe Judge. He's a part of hiring. He knows that Joe has to be successful. And Dave, I, I, I can't imagine that Dave wouldn't be drafting with the collaboration of the head coach. And I tell you, I give the Ravens credit, and they're known to be a good drafting team. I'll tell you why. They get a guy, they weren't looking for a running back. Dobbins is available when they're picking 55th, and they say, we cannot let this guy go any farther down the board. I mean, let's be honest. The guy should have been picked 20 picks ago. For whatever reason, he keeps slipping down the board, and they said, we weren't even looking for a running back. We can't pass on the kid. I mean, that, that's smart drafting. That, that to that's me, is why really they're good. I mean, they took a tit because they said, hey, the guy's too good to go any farther down the, down the board. You know what that is, Mike? That's great drafting combined with a little bit of Forrest Gump luck right there, right? Yeah, that, that he's available. They said we never thought the guy would even be near us. And, and they're right. And, and the fact he's going to be a better player because of who he has there as a partner in Ingram who's going to help him be a better professional, whatever his best version is, he's going to get that as a human being. And the fact that what their offense is – He's not going to be. He's not going to need to get rushed into things. He can be selectively, and I believe with some running backs, some type of running backs, and this is what I believe Dobbins is. Early on, he will less will be more. Meaning, the less carries, the less reps that he gets, he will be better. And that's just the way it is with some players. And he's going to grow into be. He's a terrific talent, and he's going to grow into an outstanding running back. And then, I mean, you've got Lamar Jackson, you've got Ingram. I mean, this is. Um, this is going to be. I think it's going to be. I think it was a terrific pick, Mike. I, I truly agree with you. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you again, Scott. Thanks very much for all your help on the draft, Scott Pioli. Right, back after this. Thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t